0: Mac Power Users, Episode 139, Workflows with Ethan Schoonover. Hey, Hello, everybody. It's David Sparks. Along with me is Katie Floyd. Hey, Katie. Hey, David. And with us today is Ethan Schoonover. Welcome to the show, Ethan. Thanks, David. Hi, Katie. Hey, you, you huh? know we- we you almost just had a, to do the
1: show solo, Ethan, just me and you, because I threatened to kill David off in the last episode.
2: Oh, no. But, but Twitter uh-huh.
1: Twitter had a backlash, and, <laughs> uh, you know, apparently they didn't like that.
0: The hive mind spoke. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's just the first time it was on tape.
1: <laughs> the, the Klingons <laughs> and their pointy swords were coming, but I guess he got away.
0: <laughs> Next you know, time, Ethan, you may I, not be so lucky. Yeah. I, I have to admit when I um when I when we got on Skype together a few minutes ago it was the first time you and I've talked but I looked in on my email log we had first started emailing each other in 2008 and it's really a pleasure talking to you for the first time because you've been such a part of my life with the the projects you've done in the past and for those who don't know Ethan uh, wrote Kinkless GTD which was kind of the OmniFocus predecessor it was a a set of I guess it was Apple scripts and you had a whole bunch of stuff that you were bolting on to Outliner to turn it into a GTD task management system. And that made you kind of an internet superhero.
1: Certainly a David Sparks superhero.
0: Yeah, yeah it was, definitely. it was right, right on the fence. It was either
2: superhero or if you actually looked at the code, it was super villain, but yeah.
0: Well, Hey, it worked and I used it. So <laughs> I, I loved it. And then really, I mean, I think we have you to thank in a lot of ways for for the folks at Omni taking note of how popular that was and leading to OmniFocus, which is something I use all the time. But, but you also did the solarized color scheme, which uh, gives me a thrill because I'm completely inept when it comes to putting colors together. And uh, you've put this thing on the internet and just made it free. And we see it now all the time appearing in apps. You know, I, I'm sure you've noticed that um, where it allows you to pick some nice complementary colors. And, and you wrote it, I think, as you explained on the website, it was for a coding environment. You know, yes. Where you, you wanted to have a good background and a good foreground colors, and when you wanted to have text highlighting, it would have you know alternative colors that that complement each other. Well, I don't use it for coding at all. I use it for writing all the time, and I I love it. So I I think it's great. And yeah, you know, just, yeah. In general you've made my life better Ethan so I'm glad we could have you on the show.
2: <laughs> oh do well that's lovely to hear. We should uh, we should try to write more often than every uh every 4 years 5 years. Yeah huh? definitely. Um yeah, well, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, both the you know the podcast and your blog, and, and really I've also um, I think I mentioned this at one point when we we're emailing, but uh, all the work you've been doing doing uh, you know with publishing and uh, eBooks, um, you're sort of you're a case study that I used last year when I was doing a lot of research on eBooks uh, in terms of kind of how to do it right and how to do it well. So it's a pleasure to speak to you. Um, so I, I was the
0: contrasting uh, example. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, no, you were the you were sort of the you know the best you know best practice. Um, I mean, the only you know I'd love to see I'd love to see the the kind of work you're doing that the kind of quality work that you're doing extend out into the rest of the the ebook space. I mean, that's actually it's kind of hard to do just because the other formats are so terrible for the most part. But um, you no, know, iBooks, you're doing some great stuff.
0: Well, that, you know, they're getting there. The the EPUB format is coming a long way. And yeah. the devices are just physically getting better. So it won't be long before the Kindles have the types of graphics chips and color and things required to do something like an iBooks authors type book. So I, I think, you know, the the time of Apple's. Apple being the only company that has the the machine to build a book like that is gonna be limited. I think at some point that will go across the board to all the various tablets. Yeah, I hope so. I
2: hope we we see that kind of quality elsewhere. So well look, what what can I tell you about? I'd love to
1: Well one I mean, of the I'm, things I'm curious yeah. then is, is how did you get into I mean, one of the things you're probably most popular for right now is is solarized. How did you get into designing color palettes, and do you have an art and design background? Because that was something that I did in, in my past life, and then I went went down this lawyer route. So I'm always interested in, in seeing what designers are doing and how you're doing those kinds of things.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I'm happy to talk about that. So um, it's funny, isn't it? To you know, Solarized is a – I mean, it is just a color palette, literally 16 colors, and when I designed it, it was because I couldn't – Uh, you know, it's a scratch your itch, uh, project. I just couldn't settle on a a color palette or find a color palette I was happy with. And it does have kind of some unique properties, which I'll talk about, um, which draw on not just my, my art and design background, but also photography. Um, so, and it's strange to think about it as actually kind of, it's almost like a product, right? I'm not sure what it is. Like it's an open source project. Um, And I have to shout out to my there's a co-maintainer, Trevor Bramble, who's been a big help kind of maintaining the open source side of things and the uh, unbelievably huge issue queue on GitHub, Um, which is funny, too, because a color palette as open source is kind of a strange concept, right? It's it's not code the way that we think about it as colors. And yet there's a lot of code that supports it Um, not to generate it, at least not yet publicly. Um, but there's a lot of code out there in terms of um, things like Vim color schemes, which was the first thing I
0: I wrote. So well, yeah, yeah, it's just not 16 colors. You guys have these 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 modules or components that plug into everything Python, Ruby uh, shells. You've even got the Apple color palette that you can download and you double click it and it adds it to your Apple color palette.
2: Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, in Terminal, I mean, it's the default color scheme in tons of stuff now. Kind of, which is kind of crazy. It's great. I love it. Um, So,
1: how do you go about getting it and using it? I mean, I'm I'm, I'm, once you get into the design stuff too. But for people who are unaware, how do they how do they use Solarized?
2: Well, you can go to just if you search for Solarized, you'll get to my website um, or you'll get to the GitHub project, um, and it's that's just the it's easy the easiest way to find it. But there's plugins for basically any major text editing environment. Um, It comes as default, like in. Uh there's blogging platforms that have it as a default color scheme. Um there's text editors like um I'll mention maybe later on if we're able to talk a little bit about some of the, the applications I use on on OS ten. Um Sublime Text comes with Solarize built in. Um Ulysses 3, which just came out, which I like a lot. Um I've been a Ulysses user for a long time and I was really happy to see they they built in Solarized as well. So quite often you don't have to do anything to get it. It's just gonna be in the application that that you're using.
1: Okay, and, so but so, if it's
0: not, you yeah, can yeah. download the the Apple color scheme. I mean, they have the Apple color palettes, a folder, yep. and you literally go into the color palette on your Mac. And there's also, I believe, an Apple script in there that will bring it up for you if you don't have an app with it running, and you can load it right in there. Or yeah. you could just do you could select a color. You know, on the Mac, you can select a color and you can select the little magnifying glass to grab a color from any pixel on your screen. And you could even just have a screenshot of these 16 colors and add them manually that way. Correct. Yeah. And you can see those colors. uh, Again, if you search for solarized, you
2: can see them right on the website Um, along with an explanation of, of, I don't want to say the science behind it because that probably uh, gives it too much credit for being scientific, but I did, I did make a real concerted effort to um, apply some, some real, uh, color science principles when I designed it. And that, that actually goes back to your question, Katie. So do I have an art and design background? Um, I kind of do, like my parents are both artists and I grew up in kind of an artistic household, which gives, you know, I, I didn't, I I didn't do art professionally. Uh, when I started my career, I, I was actually, although I did do a lot of design and I am a, you know, full-time right now, I'm a graphic designer. Um, I was in advertising for years and years and years and doing both design myself and um, also running design teams. So doing art direction and creative direction. So I I guess I have, I I definitely have a design background um, and I have an art background only insofar as being the child of two um, kind of crazy hippie artists gives you a feeling of kind of authority (laughs) to talk about art, you know, whether or not it's warranted. So, so there's that. Um, but really, the one of the bigger parts of, of my background, which contributed to Solarized, was working as a photographer full time for three years, which was what I was doing when I built Kinkless, and that was in Hong Kong. So, it, I, am I going on too long about this particular issue?
1: No, 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 that's fine. What What are you using? Are you using the Adobe Creative Suite, or what? What are the tools that you're using in your graphic design work, both both hardware oh. and software?
2: Yeah, definitely it's it's all Or Adobe. wait, it's, it's
1: not the Adobe Creative Suite anymore. What is it? The Creative Cloud Creative Cloud, it's now yes, yeah, it's, ball, ball. it's a,
2: uh, Adobe CC, no longer Adobe CS. Um and you know, I'll be honest, when they announced that, I was really really unhappy. I've always been a, you know, I you know, I'm an open source advocate first of all. Um and I have kind of occasional hard feelings and conflicted relationship with Adobe as I think a lot of people do. And when they announced that, I just kind of rolled my eyes, but I and I, I was going to buy it. And then I thought I looked at it. I was like, well, I'll trial it. I, I do subscribe to it. And I'll say that overall, I'm pretty happy. Uh, it's, yeah, I'm happy in the sense that, so I, I bought, yeah, I have to buy all these tools anyhow. Um, and I usually buy Photoshop and illustrator and, uh, I, you know, now I get everything. So, you know, like I used Adobe audition for the first time and it was kind of cool. So that's neat. You know, I'm glad that I get everything. Um, through that subscription and you get some sort of a discount at least at this point. Right.
1: I think first, first year, if you've got version six, you, you get it for 20 bucks instead of 50 or something like that.
2: Yeah. I really hope that they keep it low too. I think 50 bucks a month is way too
0: much. Adobe. Are you listening? Yeah. yeah, yeah I love it, that. love It does seem like a lot, but yeah, you know, looking at the software business in general, I, I worry about, you know, this race to the bottom with pricing in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I see this in the, in the iOS apps in particular, where they're so cheap, and everybody gets so up in arms when they're five dollars, that yeah. I wonder you know how can these developers make really great software when it doesn't seem like the the, the market really supports that
2: well I, i'm I'm in hundred percent agreement with you, David. you know when I actually when I joined Omni and we were building Omnifocus, and we had a long discussion about pricing and i was I was a real advocate for pricing at high because you know these guys are working. So hard to produce good software and that's all they do, you know, and it's a great product. And so, you know, when you produce good software, definitely pay for it. The only, I guess when I say $50 seems like it's too high, I guess I'm looking at it from, yeah, man, you know, that's like a monthly as a monthly cost.
0: That's a lot. No. Um, And what I was going to say was that, but when it comes to Adobe software, I I've never purchased it and never really used it except for Adobe Acrobat pro. And you know, every time I have to spend four hundred and fifty dollars for that, it you know, oh, just makes me yeah. completely insane. I mean that's yeah. pretty much the reason why I barely use it anymore, because it's, I just find that, you know, there's other alternatives, one of which well, is PDF yeah. Pen.
2: Yeah, know. PDF Pen is great. I recommend that all the time to people. Um, it's there's just no reason to go with the full acrobat otherwise. Okay.
0: Yeah, and and I don't, you know, it's really not fair of me to judge that because judge away,
2: David. I give you (laughs) go for it.
0: Well, Adobe's this huge company, and they have all these employees, and and I know there's a lot of people like you who make their living, you know, running Photoshop and Illustrator and doing things that maybe that's the only software in the world that can do it. So I guess they have the right to charge a lot. But as a normal consumer, I've just got no interest.
2: Yeah, no, I, I would definitely not. I would recommend, you know, I don't, I don't want to say that it's not great software and it, it is in a lot of ways, it's gotten l- much better than it was previously. It's a lot more unified, but I just have to. And, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons I have to use it is it supports things like, you know, Pantone colors and, um, you know, good CMYK separations. I still do a lot of print, Yeah, the la the last print designer standing. Um, but yeah, so Katie, I don't know. Did I answer your question? That was a roundabout response.
1: No, you did. You did. And so we know you use all the Adobe products, but what kind of, do you use any kind of special uh, tablet or, or hardware or anything like that with, when you're, as you're actually designing and sketching things out or how does that process work?
2: Yeah. So, um, well, I guess there's a, a multi-part answer there. So I, I definitely still do a lot of sketching on paper um, and a lot of sketching on whiteboards. And those are actually really important tools for me. Um, I have a whiteboard in my, my home office. And I use a Wacom tablet. I don't use I don't use any sort of fancy you know hook up to an iPad or any other kind of tablet right now. Um, I keep my eye on that whole space, but the the precision of the the tablet input is very very critical to me. And at this point, of course, touchscreens still don't have the same. With capacitive touchscreens, just don't have the same uh,
0: accuracy. Yeah, it, it really is. It's not there yet. Even with some of these new styluses that are. Uh, touch sensitive. I think that you're you're better with a Wacom tablet.
2: Yeah, actually, that new there's a there was that hardware demo that Adobe did recently where they they demoed some kind of a new ruler and a stylus combo, um, and I think that's still a prototype, but that looked interesting. So
1: now I'm just looking at Wacom. I they I see that they're pen based tablets and stylus based tablets, and I guess I wasn't aware that that there was a difference or, or pen more for precision work or do you use like the bamboo pen tablet or
2: no, I use an uh, Intuos Five. Okay. Um, a, a yeah, wireless that's tablet. classified
1: as one of the pen tablets, by the way. Yeah. yeah.
2: Okay. Um, and then they're so they're calling pen versus stylus. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure what they're what they're different what, what the stylus tablets are. Maybe they're just lower precision. Um, Black. I apologize if I'm doing your product line injustice. Uh, but the the Intuos Five is nice. I mean, it's kind of a pro level tablet, and it's wireless, so I can kind of lounge around, which I never do. I bought a wireless tablet, and I'm always like a foot away from my computer. Okay. And now I was worried about the battery dying, right? <laughs> yeah, there's that too. Seriously, and it does die, so I I do hook it up.
1: So yeah. I am a I am a total uh, tablet newbie. What do you? I mean, what what can you do? Obviously, I know you can draw and you can sketch on these, but what what can you do beyond that?
2: Yeah, well, you know, I'm not really I'm not the the world's greatest like freehand sketcher, so I don't do a whole lot of that. I do most of my sketching on paper still. Um, I do have a, a colleague with a, a one of these Wac- Wacom Cintiqs. If I'm, I'm not sure if I'm
0: pronouncing that correctly, but,
2: you know, one of those display combos that's both a, yeah. a Wacom tablet and a
0: display. And that's so amazing. You, so you see the screen, you actually see the Adobe software and you're drawing right on as if you're drawing on your screen.
2: Yeah, it is super cool. Unfortunately, like no UI ever designed by anyone ever still today is appropriate for that kind of situation.
0: So your hands always obscuring something critical. Yeah, I'm imagining Adobe is probably least prepared for something like that. Yeah, still, unfortunately. although tablets those little targets.
2: Yeah, yeah. Tablets are definitely changing that a lot. AutoCAD has some cool apps out there now that are really designed from the ground up for kind of, you know, having a hand in front of the UI all the time. But what I'm doing with it is actually the reason that I started using these tablets originally was uh, heavy, heavy photo retouching. Um, which is kind of how I got into photography in the first place when I was doing photography full time, but I was doing a lot of photo retouching and, um, just, it's super useful to do the, to do retouching.
1: Yeah. Well, let's on that note, let's talk about photography, but maybe before we do, David, do you want to talk about our first sponsor?
0: Why, yes, I do. I'd like to talk about our first sponsor. And that is, appropriately, Pixelmator. <laughs> so um, Pixelmator is one of the, the premier photo management or, or retouching applications. We're really happy to have them back. I guess I wouldn't say their management so much as their retouching and modification. And they've got a new version out, Pixelmator 2.2, which is a major update, introducing more than 100 new features and improvements, including things like smart shapes. So now you can drop shapes right into your image Uh, they've got a custom shape palette with dozens of readily available shapes that are easy to add as dragging and dropping Um, they've also got the smart move tool that knows when you're working with an image or a shape and the layers and it gives you the options you need at the same time they've got a new paint selection tool that's simple and easy uh, so when you're selecting images, it's it's easier than ever. So you've got to use it to to appreciate it. And then they've got these really cool light effects. And, you know, I when I first saw that feature, I'm like, I'm not sure I'm going to use that. But then all of a sudden I was making all my pictures look like they were uh, taken in the 70s and having a great time with it. Um, you know, Pixelmator really is, to me, the solution for these kinds of problems that we were just talking about. And that's because I don't do it for a living. Uh, and it's got more tools than, frankly, I know how to use. They've got some great tutorials at their website, and the price is just $15. So, um, it, when you put that in perspective of the Adobe suite, you know, if it's $20 or $50 a month, that's the price of buying the application is less than well, a one month subscription. And, and granted, you're not getting all the other things you get with Adobe, but for what Pixelmator does, it's perfect for most people.
2: And it does, it does them really well too. I mean, I've looked at Pixelmator and thought, I wish Adobe software was that easy to use in certain cases. So,
0: well, you know, and that's how I found into it because I, for years I bought the Adobe Photoshop with, I forget the name of it. It's the $100 version. Elements. Yep. And they'd come out with a new one and I'd get it. And a lot of it was inscrutable to me. And that's maybe just because I'm not that bright, but When Pixelmator came out, it really, it just connected with me. And it it uses like the graphics chips inside the Mac. I mean, it's built for the Mac and it looks like it and it acts like it. So I started using this app years ago. And and that's just my app. And And the people I'm talking to right now with this ad spot is I'd like you to look at this. If you, if you are a user of iPhoto or Aperture and you don't use any other applications to improve your photos because you think, well, I, I've got the basic photo adjustment tools in those applications. Well, Pixelmator is going to up your game. And even if you think that that's beyond you, if you just go watch a few tutorials, you're going to see very quickly that it's not. You're going to be totally okay with this and it, and it talks right to iPhoto and Aperture. You can send your photos out and send them back. Uh, they've got a free tutorial at the website pixelmeter.com or you can just go buy it in the app store. It's 15 bucks so you really can't go wrong. Uh, if you do get it though, I really want you to go to the, to the tutorial site. I'm going to put it in the show notes, and it's uh, pixelmatercom slash tutorials, I believe. And if you just watch a few of those, you're going to become a pro at this in no time at all, and your pictures are going to get better. So uh, thanks, Pixelmater, for coming back and supporting the Mac Power users, and everybody go check them out. If you do get it, go and let them know you heard about it from us. That always helps.
1: Excellent. So let's talk about photography a little bit, because I know we mentioned in our pre-call that you were a big photo buff. And this is an area that I'm kind of starting a little bit to get more back into. And I know David recently bought a new camera. I mean, my interest in this is I, w- I was always a photography buff and, in high school. I took photography classes, and my high school was kind of the last high school that had a, a dark room. Oh, and a
2: dark room. A dark
1: room. I know, I know how to develop photos in a dark you can, room.
2: You can still smell those chemicals, I
1: love you? the smell of that chemical. Is yeah. that bad?
0: That's the first sign of addiction, Katie, but I, cool. we'll get I, you help.
1: Oh, I loved the smell of a dark room.
0: (laughs) I just like the term fixer. I just think that's great. (laughs) <laughs> give it to the fixer and
1: then you put it in the stop bath. Um,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> but anyway, so I, and, and my thing is I'm asking everybody for camera advice because I'm getting ready to go on this trip to Alaska and, um, mm, about a month and a half now. And so I'm looking, you know, maybe I don't, maybe I don't want to get a big DSLR cause I don't use it that much, but I want to get a nice camera that is going to take some decent pictures, something greater than an iPhone for this, you know, kind of once in a lifetime trip that I can carry around with me. Um, so, uh, what are, what are you shooting with and, and how did you get there? And tell me about your, your photography setup.
2: Sure. Sure. Well, um, I guess there's a, a couple, there's a couple parts to that answer. Um, right now. So I, I was a Canon shooter and I still am. I have a ton of Canon gear.
1: All right. We're um, done.
2: <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> Goodbye. Um, no, I'm just,
1: I was a Nikon person back in high school, so I, I, I could be oh, persuaded to go to Canon. No, now.
2: no, I've got, I've got an original Nikon F right next to me here. Um, okay. like an old film, Nikon F, so F, well, that's, just an F,
1: that's all I shot was Nikon original SLR, um, film cameras. So I, I don't haven't, don't have any allegiance in the digital realm.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting. So, um, this, this original Nikon F, this was the, this is my father's camera and I coveted it for years and years and years. Um, strangely, he, this was he did not let me learn on this camera, which was a wise move. Um, but, uh, but he, he gave it to me some years ago and I just recently took the lens from this Nikon F and I've been using it on the camera, which I just bought, which is a Fujifilm X-Pro one, which is a mirrorless camera. So it's a little, it's a kind of a marriage of, you know, of this old, the old technology and family history and then this new mirrorless system. So that's, that's the camera that I've been shooting on and I've been very happy with it. It's kind of interesting because it's got a, the sensor Fuji designed kind of this weird sensor, which has kind of a pseudo random pattern, not the standard Bayer uh, pattern mosaic pattern, you know, of the red and green and blue tiles uh, on the sensor, which are usually arranged in kind of a checkerboard uh, regular pattern and Fuji made them semi random so you you don't have the moire effect as much uh, when you're shooting things like fabric or screen doors or things with regular repeating kind of grid like patterns and it's great i mean it's really uh, beautiful image quality really slow to focus but if you're kind of a you know uh, a Leica user and you're familiar with doing kind of very slow gradual rangefinder photography
0: then it's a lot of fun you know it's funny cuz we um in our house i had I think now it's about an maybe an eight year old Canon uh, digital rebel. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like when they were brand new, but it it wasn't, it was pretty long in the tooth at the same time, but it's a great camera. And I had the, what I called the nifty 50 that it was 50 millimeter 1.4. And that's the, that was the plastic body. I think I had one of those two, right? Yeah. I I don't know, but I shot that lens like 90% of the time. And Whenever someone in the family wanted a picture of their kids, I just got them out and, you know uh, early in the morning or late in the afternoon and shot with a very shallow depth of field, and everybody thought I was brilliant. And yes, <laughs> that was that was the camera. And my daughter is really into it. She's in the, in the high school. She's on the morning news, and they go out and they shoot films, and she goes to competitions. And she said, you know, I'd really like an SLR that can shoot video because that's what you know most of the kids have these days that do this stuff. And, um, we decided instead to get an Olympus, uh, I think PL5, which, uh, is, uh, it's a micro four thirds mirrorless and we've had it now for six months and we really love this camera. I mean, it's nice. You can put it in your pocket, you know, when you're going to Disneyland or wherever, but at the same time, it takes really nice pictures and it shoots good video too. It's, uh, it's not super fast with the focus, but I think part of that's on the lens I use. I mean, I think the lens we've got is a, uh. 20 millimeter 1.7, I think it's a fixed focal length lens is the main one we use, but, uh, that, but it's I, come a long way. Yeah. And I, I love, I like that camera. I looked at that
2: Olympus as well. And I, I really like the the whole concept of the four four third system just because it seems like there's a, a good deal of support behind it and yeah. a, a huge number of lenses to choose from. Now is um, your
0: Fuji for micro four thirds?
2: No, it's not. They actually have a, a new mount that they developed specifically for kind of their, their new X product lineup and um but there's there's a a number of lenses and they're all beautiful lenses they're really great the glass is outstanding yeah so but that's that's really just part of like katie if i would here's my other recommendation for you okay okay so you're going is this like a a cruise are you going up hunting bear yeah I'm, i'm definitely hunting a bear Okay,
1: uh, but it's with half, her, half
2: with her Klingon pointy sword. With my Klingon pointy sword, <laughs> after you whittle a spear and yes. right. Okay.
1: Um, well, yeah, it's half half land, half sea.
2: Okay. Um, so I would one of the things that I really love doing when I go on trips is I take one of these little dye sublimation printers with me, and I I've kind of for years now I've been using these Canon selfie dye sublimation printers, and you know Canon. I don't know what's wrong with these people, but you know, they, the product, the people who name their products are just, should be, they should be fired. Canon fire all of your product naming people. Um, it's, they produce Canon selfie printers that are both inkjet and Canon selfie printers that are dye sublimation. And you want to avoid the inkjet printers and you want to buy the dye sublimation printers. Okay. And they, so the reason that you want the dye sub printers is because it, you know, basically vaporizes this, uh, film of ink onto the paper and it makes, first of all, it gives you a continuous range of tones. So it's not, it's not, um, or, or doing any kind of stippling to, pr- um, mimic, uh, different color tones. So it's a continuous tone. And it also ends up being waterproof right out of the printer and you can get these cool little postcard packs of paper, like four by six postcards, and you can print gorgeous postcards right away uh, while you're traveling. I do this all the time. We just went on a, a big Chinese New Year trip to Asia and we sent out postcards that way. Nice.
1: Yeah, but can I do that with the uh, Apple Cards app? That's what I was planning to do is just taking a picture on my iPhone and moving it over to my iPhone and then paying them no, the $3 can... or whatever to send it.
2: Yeah, you can do that. But I don't know. There's something it's just so nice to I, I really like to to have the picture in my hand and then to scribble in the back. And I don't know, maybe it's a little retro.
0: I'm a little retro. I'll admit it. I'll tell you one thing. When we travel with the kids, it's really nice having the iPad there. And whether you use the the little connector through USB or iCloud or whatever, Uh, In the evenings, we'll look at it on the big iPad screen. We'll flip through all the pictures from the the last day or two. And we have a really good time doing that on our trip. It's kind of become a a Sparks tradition. And uh, I guess we're all just really self-absorbed. But it's a lot of fun, (laughs) you know, going through those pictures. And at the same time, I'm deleting the bad ones as I go through. So when I get home, I've got, you know, kind of a good master list of pictures
2: yeah i think it helps cement sort of the the memory too i mean you get a chance to look at it again and think oh that was you know that was and i it's amazing you know just even on one trip um a couple of days after you know a particular event i'll go back and look and i've already kind of forgotten like oh yeah we did that well we climbed that little hill that was right um so no it it does bring i think it helps to cement the memory for the children especially
1: um now when you um how do you manage these? Like if you're taking these photos on vacation or, or whatever, how do you manage them getting back Do you? Do you always travel with a laptop? Cause God. that was kind of my goal is not to take the laptop with me.
2: Yeah, no, it's always my goal too. Um, I don't know that I'm still there. I, I use, well, first of all, I pretty much always do have a laptop with me um, for just for business. If nothing else, I, I almost always have to carry something, but, my goal is to not have yeah you know i'd like to be able to be out in the field and to shoot without anything um just to have a bunch of sd cards and i do that um i'm kind of changing the way that i'm managing that and actually one of the bigger problems for me is not just how do i shoot i'm in the field but you know my my wife has a phone i have a phone we have a camera my daughter has a camera now and we have all these cameras and they're all producing photos and for a long time it was kind of a nightmare for me because I I'm sort of the family photo guy obviously, obviously, and all these photos were just on different computers in the house and they weren't getting synchronized up properly. And so what I finally ended up doing is I stuck this iFi card
0: into my camera, which I love. I, th- I don't know, are you guys familiar with that card? Yeah, you know, and it's funny thing because I've had mixed feelings. I have an iFi card and I have trouble uh, getting it to consistently work. Yeah, I've had one or
2: two instances where I, I had to wake it up. Um, there was a while where it was rock solid, and so I've only had one or two times where it didn't work for me. But I can I can see that there's that possibility. I, def- I there was one time in particular where I thought it had died, and it, you know.
1: Yeah, well, talk about what the iFi card does because some people may not know.
2: So it's basically an SD card. I mean, it's like magic to look at it, really. It's amazing they got it to be this small, but it's like a it's a Wi-Fi adapter inside of an SD card. And an SD card, if people aren't familiar with it, it's not the CF, the compact flash card. It's, it's the small guy, you know, postage stamp size. And that fits inside your camera. And then uh, when you're taking a picture, it, ha- it has a little bit of memory in there and you can get different sizes. And so it'll save the picture onto the Wi-Fi card. And then when you're on your network... Or it can also tether, I think it can tether with um, like your iPad and your iPhone as well. Yeah,
1: it can create its own network.
2: Right. And so then it'll upload all those photos wirelessly. And so you sort of have the illusion of kind of infinite
0: storage inside of your camera. And when it works, it works beautifully. Yeah, it's pretty cool when you get your iPad on the table and you're taking pictures in the other room and they're just showing up
2: yeah yeah and so i i do that um and of course a lot of cameras a lot of the big dslrs now have wi-fi built in and even some of the mirrorless uh cameras i think sony has one that has, uh has wi-fi built in
0: i'm I not sure about Fuji. For that i have a tip for that. there's an app that i got um that was uh, jeff carlson recommended called shutter snitch and mm-hmm. it works better than the iFi app on the ipad
2: hmm. oh cool I'm okay. gonna check that out.
0: Yeah. that so my other, my other thing
2: now is I'm using Dropbox to synchronize doing the Dropbox upload. And then my, so my wife, you know, her phone will synchronize to her Dropbox. And then my trick with that is you can go into, so I, I snuck into her Dropbox account and then I shared that folder over to myself. Yeah. Smart. And so, and I, of course the same thing happens from my phone. And so then those two folders end up synchronized over to my Mac and then from there, Hazel, which is a super utility. I, I'm assuming you guys probably know it.
1: I, I know. What is this Hazel thing you speak of? David, do you know <laughs> no,
0: We actually have to take a drink now. Yes. So. We have a <laughs> is this drinking. bingo? Did I make bingo? You did. did this it?
1: is okay. the little game we have.
2: <laughs> what are the other magic words? Okay, we'll come to those. Um <laughs> So, yeah, so I use Hazel and then it it, uh, dumps all the photos into like an import folder for me and I can can do some clever renaming. And boy, has that been a lifesaver.
1: All right. So wife's iPad uploads to Dropbox folder, which shares to you and then Hazel grabs it and puts it into a folder that you then
2: process. Yeah. So her Dropbox is not filling up with photos. And then it all comes over to me because, frankly, nothing happens with the photos in our family unless I, I do something with them.
0: Right, uh, that's really clever. But yeah.
1: but at least you're getting them. She's taking them, but you're getting them. Yes. And then she's not being burdened with the. I mean, I guess every time it syncs up, then it's coming out of her storage space. Isn't being every time Hazel pulls them out, she's freeing back up storage space in her Dropbox.
0: Yeah, exactly. Got it. And then what do you do? Like, my wife takes some pictures that are family related, and then she'll like take a picture. Of curtains because she likes the colors in them and she wants to use them <laughs> on something she's making. You know, you so, just
1: got
0: a yeah. deal. Do you, do, you, uh, do you have a plan for stuff like that? I guess um, she, just, she just deals with that on her end. Yeah, no. When, when you're doing the take... Dropbox upload, is she she's not deleting the pictures from her camera roll? Is she?
2: No, she's not. They're just it's okay. just everything. Everything comes in. Um, yeah. No, I'm actually I don't have the curtains pro- problem yet. I actually look forward to the curtains problem. I'm just trying to get photos of me with my children. That's yeah. my big goal for, for 2013 because I have no proof that I'm actually their father, photographic proof yet. Um, I've been mean, like no photos in our family.
0: Yeah, because you're the one always shooting. Yeah, I'm always behind the camera. Well, it, uh, it is – you know, Apple really hasn't solved this problem, and I, I'd like to see them do that at some point because they've they've set up an ecosystem. Is it ecosystem or ecosystem?
1: I always thought it was ecosystem, but whatever. It's kind of like GIF and JIF.
0: Uh
2: Don't think? started. I, th- I think, no. I
0: think properly – I mean, the Greek would be, would be Echo, huh? I just remember Echo the dolphin, so I'm going to stick with Echo. It's Jeff, by the way. Okay. I stand
2: by that. All right.
0: We can fight later. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the peanut butter. <laughs> it is. Well, it's general in image format, right? J- yeah. All right.
1: I don't even know what we're talking about anymore.
0: I, I don't know why everybody's no, we were talking so talking about ecosystems. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so Apple has this ecosystem that says you're going to be able to assign an iCloud account to everyone in your household and we're happily going to sell you lots Wait, that's of a drinking. Little... That's a drinking word too, right? iCloud. Tell me it is. No, uh, it, it should be. It makes, it makes me want to drink. We just added it Okay. <laughs> in honor of you. We've added it, but Thank so you. Apple's going to sell you all these things you can put in your pocket and your purse and set on your desk and everybody's going to have their own iCloud identity. And we're going to, you know, and, and they to a, In a lot of ways, they succeed. I mean, they do a great job of backing up iPhones, for instance. And uh, if your iPhone gets wrecked and you go get a new one, you put in your iCloud ID and it rebuilds itself and it's like magic. But in in a lot of other ways, they failed. And I think the pictures is one example of that in the sense that I've got four people in my house that all have one Apple device or another that takes pictures. And getting all those pictures in one place is going to require me to do something like like Ethan did. I'm going to have to set up some really nerdy workflow with apps like Hazel and do all this stuff to combine and get the the pictures in one place. And then I'm going to have to go through and sort through them to delete the ones with the pictures of the curtains or whatever it is my kids find interesting that really aren't truly family pictures. And it's just a whole bunch of work I've got to do. And how come it's not easier to say – these three people live in the same household as me, and we'd like to have you assemble this into one library for us, please.
2: Yeah. I, it's just amazing to me that nobody has I, – I think Adobe even tried to do something – I forget the name of their product.
0: Uh, yeah, they have an a, online photo storage product. You're right. Yeah. Everybody does. And now Yahoo's trying to rebuild Flickr, and it seems to me like right now there's a whole bunch of people with just dump truck sizes of – hundred dollar bills in their coffers all trying to figure out how to solve this problem in a way that makes it easy for everyone and it seems to me that apple's in the best position to do it because we've already got all the hardware in our pocket and it it just seems natural for me that they would solve this problem and i don't think they really have yeah well fingers crossed for this year It's been an ongoing discussion on the show, really, every time we have anybody talk about photography. And then we also have listeners just write us sometimes that say, I don't know what am I supposed to do? And I kind of shrug my shoulders. Although yeah, I do I, like what you, you I do like what you uh, came up with I mean the idea of a Dropbox with a hazel sync i've I've used things like that before, but it hadn't occurred to me to do it through a shared Dropbox account, which makes a lot of sense
2: yeah and the well so you know I mean I'm only sharing that full fo- I didn't even think it was possible at first, but it's that special folder that Dropbox creates using their photo upload service and i this was only possible because of the support that Dropbox put into their app for instant photo uploads yeah.
1: I think what I've decided that I'm going to do is, you know, I've got Photo Stream that streams back to my Mac, but the problem with PhotoStream right now is you can't, I thought, oh, this will be easy. I will Photo Stream back to my Mac mini home server because that's always on. I don't want to leave my primary Mac, which is my MacBook Air on, you know, for the 16 days that I'm gone. But you cannot set up PhotoStream on multiple Macs to have it import to multiple Macs. How ridiculous is that? Because what I wanted is I wanted a way where I was up in Alaska, I could take photos and at the end of the day I could get these photos onto my iOS device. But as soon as I found Wi Fi, because I want to back up the photos on that card, you know, in case the bear eats it. Yeah. But um, or it eats me and I've got the card. At least somebody <laughs> will will get the photos.
0: There's no way a bear. Is that gonna Last eat you. shot though. That last shot, Katie is going to be awesome.
1: I know. Um.
0: There's no way a bear will eat Katie. She's got that cling on. I got pointy the pointy sword. sword.
1: It'll be fine.
0: She'll get angry.
1: But, um,
0: theater <laughs> should then. What happens? You should get put in jail by, you know, somebody for killing a bear.
1: That's prob- probably, prob- you probably have to have a license for that, I would imagine. But anyway, so, um, but you can't set up photo sharing or a uh, photo, what's, what's it called? Photo, photo but not stream. photo, but photo stream um, with more than two Macs. I was like, Oh, so I have to unlink it from my MacBook air and relink it to my Mac mini. I'm not going to do that. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn on that Dropbox import. I don't normally have it on my iPhone because I have photo stream and that works fine on my iPhone, but I think I'm going to turn on Dropbox on my iPad because that's what I'm going to be using to transport the photos. I'll either use the iFi route or I'll just take the camera connection kit and plug the SD card into my iPad. And so that I don't have to keep the photos on my iPad all the time. As soon as I find wifi, I'll suck them down into Dropbox and then I can pull them off my iPad.
0: Yeah. You got it. No, I think that's a solid. That's solution. kind of the plan. Uh, I, I use aperture and photo stream works just fine on two different. Oh can.
2: man. I see. I just, I just left aperture. That was a really hard choice. I really missed the UI, but you know, I just couldn't, I couldn't take the
0: lack of updates. Yeah. It's kind of crazy how long it's been, but I'm I'm not um a professional, so for what I do it it's just fine.
2: Yeah. Well actually for me the the I even even so lack of updates, I kinda stuck with it. Um yeah. but it was this Fuji, the Fuji X Pro one. There was no raw support oh, up until would... up until like literally like a day after I switched over to Lightroom. <laughs> it's like washing your car, you know, yeah. thunderstorm. So um yeah, that but that was a big change for me. I still uh, the uh, UI in Aperture is really still I, I I really like it a lot better than Lightroom. But man, I don't know. I hope Apple improves the way that they do their pro app lineup support and communication. It's way too black box.
0: It's kind of baffling. Yep. Well. Katie, I think we should probably talk about our next sponsor.
1: Yeah, let's talk about Gazelle because, you know, we've got WWDC coming right around the corner. And I think we might get some new hardware, possibly. I don't know if we're going to get new iPads or iPhones, but I think we're definitely probably going to get some new Mac mobile hardware. Don't
2: say this. I have too many things piled up here that I need Uh, to sell before new stuff is announced. I need to Craigslist it.
1: No, don't Craigslist it. You want to Gazelle it because if you want to buy a new iPhone, a new iPad, a new MacBook Air, a new MacBook Pro, a new MacBook Retina, whatever it is that they announce at WWDC or shortly thereafter, uh, Gazelle is the way to do that. Whether you've already upgraded or you think the next big thing is happening, what you can do, and and here's a pro tip, go to (laughs) gazelle.com right now because you want to do it before they announce the new things because prices only go down after the new things are announced and tell them what you got. Tell them I've got a uh, MacBook Air, third generation, this is the processor speed, this is the hard drive, or tell them you've got an iPhone 4S, this is the carrier, Uh, you know, this is the the size, And, and fill in all that information. Tell them what kind of condition it is in, be honest, because they'll do a review of it. And they will give you a quote. And that price quote is locked in for 30 days. So that gives you 30 days to either make a decision of, yeah, the new greatest and latest thing is out. I want to go ahead and buy it and gives you 30 days to buy it and acquire it. Or if you change your mind and you decide that you don't want to buy, then no problem. You're not obligated to even send it to them. And if you have broken iPhones or broken iPads that may be sitting in a drawer and they've got a cracked screen but you didn't want to do anything with them, they will even buy that. Obviously, the quote's going to be a little lower because they've got to get it fixed, but they will take that. So. Um, go to Gazelle. You can see what you've got. You can plug it in. They will lock that offer in for 30 days, and then they will pay you via PayPal. If you get an Amazon gift card, which for me is practically like cash because I the, you know, the secretary comes into my office every day with an Amazon box, they'll give you an extra 5%. Um, Or they can send you a check, check PayPal, Amazon gift card, whatever you want to do, they'll send you your money. Um, And it just works. So as long as you send them what you said you were going to send them in the condition you said, um, they'll send you what they said they were. If it gets to them and for some reason they disagree, sometimes they say it's worth more, sometimes they say it's worth less, they'll shoot you an email and let you know. And then you can decide whether to cancel the transaction and they'll send you the stuff back or, or not. And they sent you the coolest little boxes. Gazelle has really crazy boxes that you just slip your stuff in. Um, and it's awesome. So my suggestion, my tip is go to gazelle.com now before WWDC keynote, lock in your offer on whatever you're thinking about buying. Then you can decide after the keynote. And, uh, if you actually want to get rid of your stuff, get the highest quote possible, uh, make sure you told them that we sent you at the checkout screen. So, uh,
2: How do I I tell them? Do I just speak to my computer?
1: You do speak to your computer, (laughs) and it will listen to you. But there's a little drop-down menu that says, where did you hear from us? That is
0: brilliant. I I have like five years' worth of gear (laughs) that's piled up. You can uh, just put it all in a box. And even you can send them stuff that you don't have quotes on, and they'll still – well, it has to be something that they support, though, which is mainly Apple stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's better to get a quote for it. But you can put multiple things in a box. You can say, I've got this, 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 and this, and they'll ship you a big enough box and – You can send it all off.
0: I mean, one of the things is everybody's talking about how MacBook Airs are out of stock everywhere. So we're going to assume that we're going to get some new MacBook Airs either at WWDC or even maybe before with that new chip that Intel just released. And maybe you want to sell your old MacBook Air. I was just looking. A 13-inch MacBook Air can get you $681. So you could send that in. That's a long way towards purchasing a new one. So – there's a that lot is of awesome, you know, it's a great way to get rid of these things. You, we let them sit in a drawer. I, I know I used to do that too. And then I, I looked at all this old technology I had Palm pilots and things like that. And then as soon as I got hooked up with the gazelle, I just started selling everything. I mean, I, I don't keep anything anymore because uh, you know, it, I don't get enough joy out of seeing it in a drawer. I'd rather have the cash.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. So thanks to gazelle for their continued support of Mac power users. And, um, I guess let's, let's get back to talking about some more of your workflows. And one of the things that I didn't know that you did, we've talked about photography. We talked about graphic design. We've talked about all of your creative stuff. Um, but you also do a lot of research and writing.
2: Yeah. Kind of a jack of all trades. (laughs) Implied master of none. (laughs) I
1: didn't say that far. Welcome
2: to the club, brother. Welcome to the club. Yeah. Yeah. It's, or you can use the term Renaissance, right? That's, that's okay. Renaissance person. Um, so yeah, I do a lot of research. Um and I do so I mean that's kind of of two varieties. Uh, obviously, like we all do uh, online research, but I, you know, I just read so many print books still and I take tons of notes in the print books. Um do you, anybody else? I know, I mean, I know I realize I'm talking to an, you know, an ebook mogul. Um <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> mogul's the official term, right? So Uh okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I still like prints a whole lot. I miss being able to scribble in books. And uh, so I, you know, one of the, my, one of my workflows really involves um, transcribing, not just those notes, but also uh, quotes and passages from books. So I guess that's sort of the first step for me in the workflow is how, how I get that stuff in. And I used to do a lot of just typing Um, But now I've actually switched over to doing things like scanning, um, not just... So I I do, you know, I I think we all have like paperless scanners, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, If you don't, then there's a great book about how to go paperless um, that that everybody should read. And... (laughs) And in fact, I mean, that's one of the things that swayed me over to to using Evernote full time to kind of do paperless office stuff. But for books and things that can't really go through my scanner, I have one of those sheet fed scanners. Um, I'm using a C pen pen scanner, which I swear nobody knows about. Nobody uses these things, partially because they have a terrible website and they don't really make a big deal that there's Mac support. But it's this cute little... um, kind of wedge. You know, it looks like those wedge-shaped highlighter pens. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, does that have like a little wheel on the inside of it? Um, you know, it's not really a wheel. I know I know what you're thinking of. Um, and I feel like there might have been a version that had a wheel, but the version that I have, I, I don't even have the current one. I have like version 2.0. Uh it's just got a little kind of pressure switch on the the end of where like the highlighter um nib would be. And as you as you press it onto the page it kind of shines a little white led onto the page and it scans in the text and it does a brilliant job it's really accurate you don't have to be too fussy about it um and it gets it right the first time almost every time so yeah, that's that's really a key part of my my research workflow because you know if i don't if i don't put it into some sort of note storage system it's just gone
0: ethan what type of research are you doing
2: oh you know it's um It's pretty varied. I do, I do a lot of reading, um, graphic design stuff, uh, history. Um, I'm still studying, you know, I'm studying Greek still. Um, although I'm not scanning that stuff in so much. Uh, what else? I would be really
0: impressed if you were scanning in Greek.
2: Well, you know, it doesn't, I tried it. Um, it's not too bad, but it's not Just because of all the little, um, the diacritic, the symbols above the the letters, it's just not so
0: accurate with those. But with English text, it's great. When I was Um, in school, once I had a professor who, you know how they have the, back in my day, they wrote the question, the exam questions, essay questions on the chalkboard, on the chalkboard. And then they'd pull like a map down in front of it or something. And then you'd walk in and you'd sit there with your blue book and they'd let the map go up. And he had three questions and they were all written in Latin and we all just literally pooped right there i know i did. and then and then he just started laughing and then he wrote him in english that's that's so evil but you know
2: that that reminds me i had forgotten about that with the map pulling down um because I'm, we did that in class too but that reminds me of that evernote app on the ipad do you know what i'm talking about where you flip yeah. up the little
1: oh um yeah it's not hello. It's um, I know Changman.
0: It's like the
2: study aid. I, I don't use it, but yeah. No, I don't I either. China. I mean, and I think it was just sort of a concept piece from them. But that's actually one of my favorite little things that came out for the iPad where, where they looked at it. Evernote. Peak. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, I, again, like not something that I make use of, but I love that they were thinking about sort of the physical device in that way. Yeah. So, so
0: yeah, um, that's a big, that kind of scanning.
2: So when you're running
0: this pin scanner, you're catching one line at a time.
2: Yeah and it just dumps it in. it acts like a keyboard. So that's the really brilliant thing. I mean there's there's not much in terms of like special software, there's like a driver and an input yeah. uh method and then that's it. And so it goes into whatever I'm working in um which is late, lately I'm doing a lot with Evernote actually. Um more and more just using Evernote. I used to be a big DevonThink user.
0: So, we we keep it, threatening to do a show on DevonThink, but oh
2: yeah. man. I, I love, you know, even if I don't use it, I will always have a soft spot in my heart for DevonThink. Think. It's just an amazing, crazy, huge, insane piece of software. And it, you can be so productive with it. But, you know, I'm a little too cross-platform right now, and it just wasn't – it just didn't work for me. But Evernote's there.
0: Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's funny where Evernote isn't quite up to snuff with some of these traditional research apps – you, you give it a lot of, of passes just because the data is everywhere. It's just yeah. so great to open your phone in a restaurant and have access to that scan you did with your, you know, light pen.
2: Yeah, that was, I mean, the big realization for me last year, it was just that ubiquity trumps everything else.
1: So briefly, cause I know we could do a whole show on Evernote. In fact, I think we have, um, how do you, <laughs> how do you have your Evernote set up? I mean, what What's kind of your notebook structure and all?
2: Oh, oh, Katie, that's, that's like a $6 million question for me. And that's something that changes like every, every two months I go through this major, like hierarchy uh, change. i I actually have, I'm somewhat obsessive about hierarchy. I have a master hierarchy that I apply to everything in my life. And, this sounds this makes me sound crazy, but I swear I'm not crazy. Uh, the master hierarchy is it, it's all top if you level. have to
1: tell the people you're not crazy.
2: Then you probably are. You probably day, are right? okay. they just don't they just don't understand me. Um it's so what it is is it's uh it's set up so that like all subjects of my life are kind of contained in these three-letter named folders. So everything is three letters. And this works on all my task management systems, it works in Evernote, it works in Finder and it's consistent. So I don't lose anything. So for like all of the stuff related to home is in my domestic folder, which is D O M and everything that's related to, um, you know, business is under biz. Um, everything that's related to infrastructure is under INF. Um, all my systems management stuff, all, you know, my servers that I have to manage, that's all under sys S Y S. So that's, that's sort of the high level, uh, structure. And then everything falls underneath that.
0: Do you stick with three letters for the subfolders underneath that?
2: No. So I experimented with a bunch of different systems. I had one letter for a while. I had, um, you know, kind of, you know, like seven letter words and things like this. But three letters was simple. Um, they're all in capitals, usually, in almost every system that I use for the top level. So it's really obvious and clear to me right away what, what level I'm at and and what, you know, what folder is what. And they all, and that kind of course, And also I try to keep it uh, limited to maybe like seven or eight top level categories um, because that's about how many my brain can hold. And that's, that's worked out pretty well for me.
0: Yeah. I do think it's easy to have too many folders. Once you start, you know, grokking the idea of hierarchical folder structure uh, it's, it's just so easy to start making a folder to hold one or two files. Yeah. Before long you've, You've got a folder for every file, and, and yeah. that gets crazy.
2: I, I try to not let it go past three levels. If it's going past three levels, then stuff's just getting lost. Yeah.
0: And th- how much do you use like the search technologies, like you know the you know, the, the you know um, well, I guess the Google technologies if you're searching something online, or the Apple technologies if you're searching something on your hard drive, or oh, do you just use- rely on those structures? Those oh no, I use structures. search
2: all the time i use i mean i i use spotlight a lot still um i use alfred 2 a lot um which i'm a huge fan of and alfred 2 for kind of everything actually yeah and and actually i've been playing around with do um i don't know if you guys use that app much um i want to say do.net is yeah that right? do.net guess, it's, yeah. it's
0: interesting they um they really they use a lot of the same nomenclature from my paper list book in terms of capture and yes and they do trying, and they're trying to use it in a way that it's kind of an online storage database which i don't know i've been playing with it i kind of like it yeah i'm
2: i'm not i wouldn't say i'm on the fence about it like to me it could be a devon think replacement that is ubiquitous um but it's not quite there yet for me like there's a lot of file types it doesn't support yet um, yeah. I assume that they'll, they'll add those in later on. I'm not so much into, you know, I don't really need it for, you, you know, take, here's my Dropbox. Here's everything else. I mean, that's all already on my computer, but it, it does present and search in an interesting way.
0: Well, we're and it's ubiquitous. Yeah. And we're, we're moving to an, uh, a time where we're going to want this stuff everywhere. And those kinds of solutions are inevitably a I think we're all heading. I'm just not sure which one is going to get us there.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, I, I guess I can cap off my, I should try to summarize my whole um, Evernote and research usage, but I mean, long story short, like I, you know, I, I didn't really talk about the input pipeline outside of scanning, but I use things like reader and um, uh, pocket is a big one. I use pocket all the time for quick capture and those are sort of, reader and pocket feed in real nicely to
0: Evernote for me. And then I can process everything in Evernote as kind of an inbox. I just started a pocket test account two weeks ago. And um, uh, yeah, because I'd never really tried it, because I've always been such a big Instapaper user. And there's a lot to like about Pocket. Uh, one of the cool things I've been doing with it is when I flag a post in it. If I put some send something to Pocket, and I put I have a flag called Post P O S T. I have an if this then that um, rule that follows anything in Pocket that has the post t- uh, tag applied to it, and it forwards that link to my omni-focus, uh, drop email, you know, the mm-hmm. my super yeah. secret email that creates an omni-focus task. And I, it says write post about, and then it fills in the name of the post. So I can just flag something as a post through pocket. And then I've got an omni-focus tag to, to write up a post at Max Sparky. So it's really, it's really clever. I I'm pretty happy with it.
2: Yeah. I really like it. I love the UI. Um, it's always there it works really well it's got a good chrome extension i think they have a safari extension too um and yeah it's it's slick uh the one thing i wish they had though is it's related to what you just mentioned which is that you know kind of per tag feeds which is something like pinboard definitely has that i don't remember if instapaper has it or not
0: well uh, instapaper uses folders so you can move it into a folder and then which I kind of, in a lot of ways, it's it's nicer in that sense because you can open up a folder if you're on an airplane and say, well, now I want to read stuff about being a lawyer or I want to read stuff about being a Mac geek. And I've got it kind of collated in there so I can read through it like a personal magazine.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I re- Pocket has a pretty nice um, native Mac app as well, which is a big thing for me. I really, where possible, I always want to have a native app. Yeah. So... Um, and what else so then in terms of writing uh, I use a lot of sublime text right now and vim um, I'm playing around with sublime text just because it's it's pretty slick um, I'm also a big vim user but then ulysses 3 I mentioned
0: earlier I use that for creative writing um, which I, is know, great I, I, oh it looks great I'd I never really used ulysses much and I just started playing with it when the version 3 came out I have to admit i'm still i just love scrivener so much it just and maybe it's because I've been using it so long. It's second nature to me. Yeah, um, Ulysses doesn't quite have the same degree of kind of fiddliness where I can set the, the switches and dials, but it's, it's just gorgeous. It looks no nice. Scri- Scrivener
2: is a power app for sure. And I really, there's a lot about, I own Scrivener as well. Um, like all of us, right. I own a ridiculous number of apps, but like, it's not my core creative writing app simply because I do so much in plain text. Yeah. And Ulysses, and, and up until now, Ulysses didn't do kind of like native on your on your Mac in your Finder
0: plain text file support the way that it does now. So, and one of the things that's nice with Ulysses, if you get Dataless Touch, it just syncs across. So, yeah. you know, I've I've got you know I've got I'm, I I have the next field guide in Ulysses right now. So I've been spending a lot of time in it lately, hmm. and I do like the ability to to go into Pete's coffee and just open my iPad and continue where I left off. And it has solarized. Yeah, it does.
1: Oh,
0: yeah. So. And then
2: in terms of outlining, I there's, of course I still use Omni outliner, but I also have been using um, this funny little outliner called tree. I don't know if you've ever come across it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's we kind of cool. I really like it. It's, it's a kind of, I don't want to say it's a one trick pony. I mean, it's, it's a totally capable outliner, but the one special trick that it does is pretty neat, which is it does that kind of expanded tree view of all your of your outline. And I find that it just maps to the way that I think in, in, very visually um, in a neat way. And it makes use of the widescreen, you know,
0: on my MacBook and uh, cinema display. Beautiful. Yeah, a 27 inch screen that could look pretty cool. Yeah. I I really like the uh, I don't know if you've played with it yet, but the omnipresence just came out and. um just even working on the show prep for the show, I really, really love because I've had it running for a while. the 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 synchronization now between Omni Outliner on my iPad and on my Mac it makes me use them even more now.
2: Yeah, no, I talked to Andrew at Omni recently about that. And I know they they're
0: pretty excited to get that out the door. So, yeah. pretty cool. It just went live today for everybody as we're recording this. So you have to check it out, gang. Hey, let's talk about um, one more sponsor. And that's Squarespace. And uh, this is a a real great sponsor for the show. They've been with us now for a little while. And I've been using Squarespace for MaxBarkey.com now. I've actually lost track of time. I I think it's over two years now. And uh, Squarespace gives you the all-in-one platform that's easy to create your own website. Um, For a free trial and 10% off, go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code MPU5. Now, Squarespace is constantly updating their platform with new features, new designs, and more support. They have beautiful designs for you to start with and tons of style options for you to adjust so you can really create your own space uh, online, starting with one of their good-looking templates. And as I explained earlier in the show, I'm not very good at, having a design eye and making something nice looking. So one of the things I like about Squarespace is they have really great typography and they have nice layouts and then I can go in there and just tweak it enough to kind of, you know, give it my own touch, but at the same time, not completely wreck it. So I like that. I like the fact that it's got the great design that reacts to the device. So if I'm looking at it on a 27 inch iMac or on a little tiny iPhone, it still looks great no matter which one I do. It's got that responsive design built in. Uh, it's got really easy plug-and-play components where you start building a page and you can just add different components like a picture. I just did a, a post this week, and I wanted to have a gallery of photos, and they've got really great galleries. And I can just pick which one I want, and now readers can click through the photos as, as they do it. You can write in Markdown with it, which I really like to do. And it's just a wonderful uh, place to build a website. Now, the last time we did a, an ad read for Squarespace, we called out to the readers and said, hey, if you've got a great Squarespace website, let us know. Well, the first thing I learned was we have a lot of listeners that have really great Squarespace sites. So we got a lot of great ones. I was just going to pick one of them, and there, there were quite a few. But the one I, I picked to, to feature today is one called Curve Writing, and it's found at curveriding.com. And um, Chris, who is behind it, is a Ph.D. student in, I believe it was New Jersey, if memory serves, at Rutgers, I think. And uh, so he's got this great website. He talks about writing and productivity and some other great things. It's, you can see it started with one of the basic Squarespace templates, but he's made some nice changes to it. He's got a super logo, and it looks really great. So everybody go check out Chris's site. And uh, if you've got a great Squarespace site, let us know because we like to see them.
1: You know, the thing that I, I like about this is that Chris's site, Curve Writing is the same template as my site, katiefloyd.me. And the two sites look nothing alike because you can really go in and tweak the customization. In fact, one of the things that I did, I mean, you can tweak the customization within the Squarespace template, and you can, you know, it's very easy. You click on an element, and you pick a slider, and you move a thing, and you change a font, and, and that's very easy. But then if you want to get a little bit deeper under the hood, um, you can go in and edit the CSS, which I started playing around with this weekend so that you can, you can get a little bit deeper with some of the things that, that you can tweak. So it's it's extremely customizable. And I, I just noticed that Chris's site was the same template as my site, but yet they don't look at all alike. It's great.
2: Yeah, you know, I used I, I'll be honest. I used to be a real skeptic of these kind of turnkey website solutions, but I just recently... Uh, needed to help somebody set up a site and, you know, we were kind of going over their needs and they talked, we were talking about WordPress and they, they, they knew WordPress and I thought, you know, I don't want them to deal with anything like there's just like, there'd been a big security problem with WordPress. And so I actually went to Squarespace and I I opened up, you know, the, the whole admin panel, I set up an account for them and i was blown away i was honestly and sincerely impressed with the capabilities it's kind of amazing i mean that like they and they have integrations with like analytics and a huge number of tools that you can use in their admin panel but it's it's really nicely laid out
0: and the design the new responsive designs are really slick and and the nice thing is you're not going to be hearing from that friend in a few months when they it, need help oh, they're, they're going to figure it, it out
2: That was exact. That was top of my mind. Like I did not want to be maintaining this project for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's businesses that run it. My my law firm is getting ready to uh, release a redesign of our website, and we were talking to people, how much is it? You know, we're looking. It's pretty expensive to get someone to come in and build a website. So on the lark, I built a a sample site on on Squarespace, and everybody loves it. So that's it. You know, we're going to be releasing it to the wild, and it's just a. It's just a Squarespace site with some nice you know, touches to it. It's, it's really a really great product, and they're great people. We've been working with them now for a little while. And, and frankly, I was sold on them long before they were a sponsor of our show, and, and I'm going to be continuing to use them long after they are a sponsor. So, so go check it out. If you do uh, decide to get it, if you buy the full year, you get 20% off. And then if you use the coupon code, the MPU5, uh, not only does that make us look brilliant, it also gets you an additional 10%. So that's what they call in the business a win-win. So make sure you do that as well.
1: All right. Thanks, Squarespace, for your continued support of Mac Power users. So, um, Ethan. Let's, yeah. Let's talk about all the cool stuff you have in your house because I was – I am struggling right now with I want to do something more with my home audio setup. And I've been thinking about – I was having this conversation with somebody at my house this weekend about, like, putting in maybe some security cameras since I'm going to be gone for a little while this this summer and and that kind of stuff. And, and you were mentioning that you've kind of, you know, bolted together this home audio and security system. So tell me about those projects.
2: Okay. Well, they're not actually hooked up together yet, which is actually okay. something I've thought about well, doing. get on it. Right, wouldn't it be great to have my my uh, security cams hooked up to trigger my stereo? Um, and I no kidding, I actually was doing an Apple script to do that. I was thinking like a blood curdling scream from coming inside the house would be awesome. Um, yeah, while we're away it, in vacation,
0: it, it's getting there because all this stuff is going on. If this, then that. You can put a sensor in your house, and then you can yeah. tie that into something, and then you could send an email to trigger an Apple script. I mean, it, this automation stuff is. I feel like we're on the cusp of something where at least the geeks can just go completely nuts
2: yeah well no uh, that's and i do like already do tons of apple script of my stereo and the home security system so these again like See, these i are never really, would have
1: thought of apple scripting my stereo
2: oh it's great it's such a lifesaver um so
0: explain s- it explain
2: well i i think that you know increasingly my life and my audio life i i I assume this is true for all of us it revolves around you know, iTunes and I never play any of my physical CDs anymore. I just push and Spotify or whatever. I, I push streams over to the stereo. And I, the problem is that our kind of our main home computer that has all the music um, and I've played around different setups, but it's, you know, somebody, we have one computer, it's kind of in the kitchen area and then there's the other room, the stereo in the living room and running back and forth to turn it on and off was always a hassle and I'm lazy nothing if not lazy so I got this little product a little um IR blaster called an IR Trans and then I I picked up a there's a Mac app called iRed2 i r e d 2 and they actually have it I'm pretty sure they have it as an iPhone app as well although I primarily just use it for the scripting capabilities and it, you can use it like a little remote control on your computer. Like, I think it actually presents like a UI that looks like a remote control. Uh, and it's got great Apple script support. So what I can do is I hooked up this little infrared blaster to the stereo. And literally, you just I kind of taped on. So this is literally like made with duct tape or electrical tape. Um, taped on these little IR blasters to my stereo. And then I can push out these commands from iRed2. And I can Apple script it on our main computer. So whenever I'm playing a song or whenever I want to listen to the news in the morning, it's like one click. It like pops up in NPR and puts in the right URL for the morning program, depending on the time of day. Or in the evening, it'll do the right URL for, the, uh, for all things considered. And then it, it turns on the stereo for me. And then it can turn it off when it's done. And it can turn it off in the night so I'm not,
0: you know, sitting there burning power.
2: So and wait, that's been I- great.
0: I need to back up. So I so yeah. the the I you have the IR blaster on your Mac and the receiver on your stereo? Uh no, so the IR blaster is actually like a little box that sits on
2: the stereo and it's actually networked. So it's running, it's sitting on the ether, it's sitting on an ethernet cable. I think there's okay. like a wireless version too. Um so yeah, it's sitting on the end of an ethernet cable and it's just w- sitting there waiting and it's powered, you know, it has a little a little uh, wall wart that you plug yeah. in for it. And it's, it all, its only job is to mimic being an actual remote. And it's totally driven by my Mac. So I don't really need to have a remote controller. And then you can use your iPhone to push commands to it as well. So you can, like, I can turn on the, gotcha. the TV. I can turn the TV on and the stereo on using the IR blaster. Just You can do it straight from your iPhone. You can do it from the, the computer. So and then it you can mimics, also. I'm yeah.
0: sorry. So it mimics the IR signal of the power on or power off of your stereo. And you can push a button on your Mac to mimic that through the blaster that then turns your stereo on and off.
2: Power on, power off, volume up, volume down, different modes, TV on, yeah, everything. And it sounds like with
1: these various apps, then you can set up a string of commands at once, such as power on and turn to NPR would be power on, set volume to level 13, you know, tune to this whatever, you know. Yep. Yep, okay.
2: Yeah, switch over to the Apple TV for the kids, whatever it is I'm doing. And then you're running those through Apple Scripts on your Mac. Yeah, and the cool thing is that it can also... So
0: you can be monitoring, say... Like, you can put an Apple Script into iCal. Yeah. So, so you, you can say, get, a Sunday morning at 7 a.m., play heavy metal. Really totally. Violent. My yeah. wife loves that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So do you... Uh, th- these are Apple Scripts that you've just made for you? Have you... um
2: yeah I just wrote them for me um <laughs> I keep meaning to rewrite them because I think that they're not they're not great uh, but they're pretty it's pretty simple and actually, I think that the i read to product that application they have some sample Apple scripts on their site as well um, but I'd be happy to share them I mean if anybody wants those and they're they're using that product I mean again that product really only works with that you have to add that i R blaster yeah. but i would I would totally share those scripts if somebody mails me
1: I. Well, I mean, it, it's up to you, but I think there's a, people would be interested in those, you know, far and wide. Yeah, know, it's, little.
2: they're great. I, I think it's one of the best things I ever did. It just, you know, being able to shut it off is also a huge thing at night. <laughs> I, I hate leaving stuff on. I hate leaving lights on. And I mean,
0: man, I can't get to an automated house soon enough. Well, see, now I'm thinking this. All right. So you, cause I just did a post on this Mac Max Sparky about putting my Mac to sleep with my phone. And the way I do it is, I've got a um, the drafts app. I just yeah. say MB sleep. I saw and, that. I saw that post. Yeah, yeah. And so then, then Hazel. Why don't you see, have a text
1: expander snippet at the beginning of that? By well, the way.
0: well, I could do that, but it's even it's even trickier when you do it through Launch Center Pro. There's just a button. Literally, you push the button, and the button goes to drafts. It sent, it, it writes the text for you, and it sends it up to Dropbox then Hazel's monitoring Dropbox. People listening to this right now are just going, they're banging their head on their their (laughs) dashboard. And so so then Hazel sees Dropbox, hey, here's that file that run this Apple script. And then it runs an Apple script. So I could see you doing that with the stereo management. So you could have a launch center pro icon that you could tap and it would run through that whole process, put something in Dropbox, and then Hazel could run the Apple script for you on the IR Pro Blaster and turn it off.
2: Yeah, David, the, your, your method of um, putting your Mac to sleep could only be more convoluted and cooler if there was like a Rube Goldberg marble that dropped into like, I don't know, a mouse cage. Oh, you know what? Like that would mouse even be better. Run. Yeah.
0: I, and That's- it would have to be a, um, a marble. What, what is the, what's the term of art? so the tactile or for the, the capacitive touch marble. So it'd <laughs> have to be a special marble that works with capacitive touch. And I'd have to lay my phone on the table – And then the marble would be on a mini catapult across the room and it would launch be in the exact right place. So the marble would land on launch center pro at the exact spot to turn the Mac off.
1: And instead of spending the 45 minutes to set that up, I just use the energy saver preference pane and schedule my Mac to go to sleep.
0: Well, the reason that I did it was because I was at a deposition and I had a bunch of sensitive information on my Mac and the mediator called me out and, um, and I went out of the room and left my Mac with a screen on. I'm like, oh, you know, I shouldn't have done that. And uh, so I wanted a way to be able to do it from my phone in the future. So,
2: I you know, there's there's a couple apps that I've played around with over the years um, that do Bluetooth locking on the Mac. Yeah. Um, so like when your phone is out of range, assuming that you've you know done some basic pairing and it doesn't even have to be pairing for any purpose other than like when in range. Yeah. Um, you know, either keep it unlocked or or lock when it's out of range. I, I use um, Control Plane for that now. I don't know if
0: you've ever played around yeah. with that. Yeah, that's a great app. Yeah. And Brett, so. Brett Terpstra is now doing something crazy. I I put it in Instapaper. I haven't <clears> read it yet. But as I understand it, he's using the notice of Bluetooth or the range of the Bluetooth to turn lights off and on in the room as he walks in and out. Oh, yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. That's, that's super Terpstra. Cool. He does crazy yeah. stuff, man. That guy is he's <laughs> out there. That's another I, drinking word, by the way. It, yeah. Terpstra.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally like, I'll go through these like binges of reading his site. I'll read like every post that he wrote for like a year. Yeah. And, and, and there are <laughs> posts I've read previously, but then I'll like, Oh, like that's a great, that's an awesome idea. I'll do that. So yeah, he's got awesome, great stuff on there.
0: Well, I, what I do with is I'll put them into like Instapaper, Evernote. Cause I know that, if I just stopped and read it, that I would want to try it and I'm going to wreck the next four hours. So (laughs) I I, I know that when he puts something interesting, I have to set it aside. I can't just immediately read it. So I've got these piles of things he's written that I haven't dealt with yet. So, well, okay, look, let me tell you
2: about the security system really, really quick, because that was even a, that was a more fun project for me, which was um, I stuck these uh, security cameras all over the house. And like, I actually recommended uh, to somebody else, to use Dropcam, I don't know if you guys have ever used Dropcam.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't used it, but I've, I've looked at them.
2: Yeah, so I like Dropcam, but I did—I wanted to have like higher quality and more control and local feeds and all these weird things—and be, of course, right. You want to be able to Apple script it so that ultimately you can hook it up to your stereo for the yeah. blood curdling scream uh, functionality. And so what I did is I, I hooked up these cameras, and then I I used this totally cool piece of software called and I kid you not, the name is Security Spy. And I just want to say, if you're going to make a security product, I don't know, Security Spy is like possibly the creepiest name that you could give it. Uh, yeah. but it, but it works really well. It basically fully just takes,
0: intentional. I'm sure. <laughs> I
2: don't know. No, if you go to the website, it looks, um, it looks very kind of professional and, and calm. Um, and it's a great app. It does. It, it just sucks up these video feeds and then you can do whatever you want. You can Apple script against them. It does motion detection. You can fire off emails. You can trigger, trigger Apple script events when like somebody comes to the door. Um, yeah. So, and you can, so when someone comes to the I door,
1: the, uh, the dogs, the fake dogs start barking on the stereo.
2: It, you, I totally see. There, I, I still think blood
0: curdling scream.
1: Okay. Well,
0: or dogs and scream. Maybe. Can I, just, this? I just have the sound of a chainsaw starting up. <laughs>
2: See, I grew up in Wisconsin. A chainsaw is like rural Wisconsin. Like that's totally normal. Knock on the okay. door and you hear
0: a chainsaw. You're like, okay, <laughs> fine. Katie has one of the sound of her sharpening her personal my, clean my, on pointy sword. That's right. I do. <laughs> What's it called again, Katie? I forgot. It's a bat Now, Are you sure you got the pronunciation right? I got it. Do you okay. actually have one of these? I don't have one of these. I think okay. she has a collection.
1: Oh, dear. Okay. She's got one with my Chris, name on it. I do I'm have one with your name on good it.
2: Good Christmas gift there, David.
1: You can buy them. Barnes. I'm going to put a link to one on Amazon that you can buy me.
0: No. <laughs> I'm afraid. That'd be like buying you a gun to shoot me with.
1: <laughs> no, you have to be close.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Those things are big. It doesn't
2: have to be too close.
1: They're they're uh. only seventy four eighty eight on Amazon for $48. Oh, no. ninety nine ninety nine. dollars Depends. There are multiple buying options.
0: I'm getting uncomfortable. I think um, I want, I want to stop this conversation. I'm I'm scared. Ethan, so you got these cameras, and how are you? So what are you doing? Are you moderating through the Mac or what's going on? Yeah, so they.
2: Yeah, I've got a little. uh, I have my. Speaking of gazelle. Oh my gosh! um, The Amazon rating
1: says this is the real thing, not a toy. (laughs) This
2: is this is actually imported from Klingon, so.
0: Klingonvia. No amateurs
2: must be licensed. Um, Yeah, I've got an old, old non gazelle uh, worthy Mac mini uh, generation two that has been with me for many years and is beloved Um, much the way that when a child loves like a teddy bear that the eyes have fallen off of and maybe one of the arms has been chewed off, you know? Yeah, this is that this is that teddy bear. Um, I actually have I ripped out the, the DVD drive. I took out the fans, I put in a new fan that was silent, and then I laid chicken wire over the top. It's it's a, not a thing of beauty. But I want to see a picture. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I'll send you a picture. It, oh, it's hideous. It's horrible. I felt so bad for it, but it just, it runs beautifully and it's dead silent now. Uh, because, you know, those second gen Mac minis, they were loud. They were like 747 yeah. takeoff loud. They had those little tiny fans, right? That weren't really fast. Mm-hmm yeah and i don't know if like the bearings run out after a while or what it was or if they just got ornery but oh it was loud so yeah so that just pumps out video streams i've got like a little monitor hooked up to it and then the i'll send you a little picture of it it's a slick setup uh and then i and then i can access those video streams like anywhere in the world on vacation um i can open them up i can give our neighbors like i gave our neighbors like a little act like a URL that'll run for 60 seconds so that they're not constantly watching, eating up my bandwidth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is great. It's just like, it's a really neat little application. And it's kind of homegrown then. Well, you know, it's not, I it's homegrown in the sense that uh, picking the cameras was really hard and like picking decent video cameras. Everybody claims to have awesome video cameras. And there's a lot of weird terminology. Like I wasn't sure, you know, what formats it should support the cameras and, you can go crazy expensive, and I didn't want to do that. So I ended up getting some cheap cameras that spit out, like, an H two sixty four stream, and they're great. Um, and just figuring out the bandwidth is hard, though. You know, because that's a lot of bandwidth on your network. You don't realize yeah. it. Yeah. And, and people in my house... Yeah, the p- other people in my house like to actually use the Internet, so I had to get that right. So, hey, when, Do you
1: worry about your... I guess your own security in terms of people getting into this feed? I guess that no. would be my worry.
2: No, I'm... Well, you know, I'm really pretty paranoid and security conscious in general. And I mean, you know, there's probably a way to do anything, but I have everything, you know, password controlled and I actually built my own firewall too. Um, that's a different project BSD based, but not Mac based. And so I've got,
0: you know, I've got a lot of stuff going on in the network that makes me feel more secure about that. So now does the, does the security spy software have the ability to To notify you when there's movement, you know, like, like if you're on vacation, suddenly there's movement inside the house. It can send you a message or something like that.
2: Yeah, it does that, in fact. So I have it and you can you can tweak all that and you can mask out certain areas like, you know, the front of our house, that camera. There's a bush that kind of, you know, shakes when it's windy. And so I just mask that out and it doesn't trigger the motion detection. But like every time somebody comes, man, you know, this happens all the time. We do like stop mail and the mail keeps coming or, you know, UPS drops off something while we're gone. And I, this is so many times I've been able to just, you know, forward the email that gets sent over to me to one of our neighbors and say, Hey, could you pick this up for us?
0: Yeah. It, yeah it's just really amazing to me. It feels like just the last year or two, the stuff has really started to become more accessible. And I don't think it's accessible to, you know, the, the common person yet, but to geeks that want to spend a little time you know, figuring out the right software or getting the right web service. I mean, if this, then that for me is, is just a really cool way to tie these things together and, and put them into an Apple script. And I've, I've been using these Wemo devices where I can hook up lights and I can have a sensor and put them on. I mean, like even just for things like the Christmas lights this year, it was really nice. And now they tie to the internet. So you can say when it's dusk, turn the lights on. And I don't know. I, just, I, I think it's really neat. And, um, I think it's going to get even better in the next year or two because this stuff is really starting to see a market.
2: Yeah, that home automation is definitely one of the areas I've been excited about for years and years and waiting for it to, to really mature. And I think you're right that we're starting to get there.
0: Now, the last subject I'd like to talk to you about, Ethan, is you have recently uh, come back to the Mac because I know you were using a Linux system for quite a while. And uh, you are saying that you were rediscovering a lot of, of cool stuff on the Mac that you had lost track of or just didn't know about before. And I think it would be really interesting because of your all your experience and then now looking at it with a fresh pair of eyes, I'm sure you've got some great insight. So we're going to do that. But before we do that, let's talk about our last sponsor.
1: Yeah. our Before we talk about our last sponsor, the reviews for this Batleth are hysterical. On Amazon, by the way.
0: You're still reading that,
1: right? Uh, I am. It says, one look at this so-called traditional batleth, and I can tell you it is not. A traditional batleth has a complete curve handle, as seen in the link below. I would never buy this thing and would not recommend that anyone buy it either.
0: Sorry. What would a secu- what would an angry Klingon say about <laughs> that fake batleth?
1: An angry Klingon would say that you should check out our next sponsor, Connected Data, because uh, we've got a little bit of a, a sneak peek. Best of,
2: segue for yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, we've got a little bit of a, of a preview of something that's coming out on May 29th. So if you own a transporter, watch your software updates through a new update that's coming to transporter version 2.0 is going live on May 29th. And if you don't yet have one of these transporters, this may be a great time to go ahead and pick one up because with version 2.0, uh, the setup and usage of transporter is easier than ever to create your account, install your software, drag and drop files into the transporter folder and sync them immediately with the transporter you can they listen to the feedback that they heard from some of their users and now you can do things like make your uh, connected desktop folder anywhere that you want um in the finder it doesn't have to be in a specific place you could always do that but it, the setup is really easy now um If you want to share a single file with somebody with version 2.0, you can just right-click on that file anywhere in your transporter folder and send a link off to share it. The recipient just clicks on the link and the file starts downloading. Um, That's
0: huge. It is huge,
1: huge, yeah. So all of the storage that you have on your transporter, depending on the size of the hard drive that you put on it, is now available easily for sharing to others with literally one click. And then, you know, transporter can do so many things that traditional cloud services can't. So, Um, They have library folders that can provide access to files that you don't want to store on your computer or mobile devices in order to conserve storage. So you can use these library folders to connect multiple terabytes of storage to your computer or mobile devices, like if you want to have access to videos or access to movies or things like that that you can put on your transporter locally. And because this is local storage on your own network, the the data transfer is very fast. But then you can pull them up on your iPhone or your iPad or your Mac, wherever you are. You know, If you're traveling, I'm going to be throwing some videos on my transporter because I think it's like a, a eight hour twelve hour pl- you know, plane ride going to Alaska and I'm going to be throwing some videos on there you know watch the videos I have on my iPad there and when I get on on Wi-Fi when I'm there you know delete those off and download some more you know for the trip back uh, you know the big beauty about transporter that David and I have talked about a lot for our fields is the fact that you own your cloud and this is a much more private way to share your files um, your files are shared. On your computer and on your transporter, so when you decide that it's time to stop sharing or when you decide that it 's time to delete that data or remove it or if somebody wants access to that data, you get to choose it as opposed to whatever the data retention or data access policies may be of whatever provider that you choose to use um, and the nice thing about the transporter is you buy it once and it 's yours it's two hundred ninety nine for one terabyte of storage um, or you can buy um, you know blank transporters that you bring your own hard drives to and stick them in so um you've got you know room to spare and and room to grow and we've got a couple of new things coming on um android devices if you've got android devices are coming with version 2.0 so you're going to be able to support all of your android devices and the transporter is now being sold in europe so that's pretty cool Um, We got a couple of things. Pricing for the transporter, $199 for a bare unit with no drive, $299 for one terabyte, $399 for a two terabyte drive, but we'll take 10% off that. If you go to filetransporter.com and use coupon code MPU, Um, they will uh, take that off of your order. But here's a chance that you can get one for free. How does that sound? Uh, You can go to... Uh, FileTransporter.com slash V2 MPU, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And they have got a contest just for Mac Power user listeners. And one of our listeners who enters, one Mac Power user listener who goes to that link and enters, is guaranteed to win. So that link again is FileTransporter.com slash V2 slash MPU. Contest is open through midnight Pacific time on June 5th, 2013. So Go check it out, and one of you will get a new transporter.
0: So, Ethan, you were on Linux for a while, right?
2: Yeah, I I still use uh, Linux pretty heavily, and you know, of course, you know, on the server side, um, that's that's my primary uh, primary choice. I'm yeah, diff- Arch Linux, uh, Ubuntu, Debian, uh, Fedora. So I've kind of run the gamut on the, on servers and, uh, also on, on desktop. Uh, I really became a heavy Linux user for about two years and I still use it, uh, on a regular basis, but part of it was just Adobe uh, that really brought me back to the Mac. I had, I had little choice there. And part of it was, there were some things that I did miss, um, you know, on the Mac. And it was interesting for me, you know, sometimes when you, when you leave, you don't realize, you know, what, the environment is like when you're in the middle of it, and the Mac had been a really integral part of my kind of creative work workflow for a long time. And so, moving over to Linux uh, taught me, you know, it showed me a lot of different things about uh, UI that I took for granted. Um, it showed me new options, things that I would like to see on the Mac, and things that are kind of developing on the Mac, and that I think we'll see more of over time. Um, for instance, you know, I, I do a lot now with tiling window management. And there's a lot of different options on the Mac for that. Um, they're not as great as the experience I had on Linux, but they're getting better. And some of them are actually quite sophisticated now. I don't know if you use any of those tools, but things like Moom. Yeah, Moom awesome. Know, like, yeah. So, so uh, Slate is another one, which is a little bit more advanced. That's um, You can actually script against that. And then there's actually like a full uh, implementation of Xmode that just came out for OS X as well. But that's getting pretty geeky. Uh, but those those types of tools uh that definitely changed my my use of those became a lot heavier on linux um you know things like i just hate the dock and i hate uh i hate the uh, not just the dock but also the like, the full screen mode on os 10 just drives me nuts i'm hoping that's something that gets solved in
0: 10.9 so what do you not like about the full screen mode the fact oh, that you just can't use
2: it on a second monitor just a second folks sure okay Is this yeah can we just take a, a one moment pause here? Yeah,
1: yeah. sure, we can edit that. Okay, some. I'm sorry
2: about that. Um just my kids just, just walked in from swimming and I,
1: No, that's uh, all right. Just door uh, just open. leave your thing recorded and we can edit okay.
2: it. Okay. Okay, one moment. B, can you keep me
0: quiet? Yes. Okay. We can start wrapping up too if you're if you
2: Oh, no, you it's go. okay. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm okay. It's as I mostly am just concerned about not boring your listeners. No, I'm totally fine. No. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's pick that back up. And we were talking about, um, oh, yeah, yeah so I think you
1: said what's not to like about full screen. full screen. Oh, full
2: screen. So yeah. One of the things I don't like about full screen on 10.8 is just the, the way that it deals with, um, like when I've got, for example, mail open and I want to do like a, a, a full screen mail on a mail.app. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the other screen's going to be like a linen background. It just is not a, it's not an efficient or effective use. So there's a lot of apps actually like, um, the Adobe apps don't do that. Um, I think Sublime Text doesn't do that as well. Although, to be honest now, I've just sort of reverted back to using primarily my cinema, cinema display only and
0: then keeping the the Mac closed in kind of clamshell mode. It's crazy that when you go in full screen mode, one of your screens turns black. I, I don't understand that at all. And yeah. I was talking to somebody who knows a lot about this stuff who said, well, the problem is it's not easy to come up with. You know, what do you do with that second screen? Um, you know, when you scroll, do you move two screens or one screen? And he felt like until they had a really good answer, they were just going to leave it black. And I felt like, well, they should do something with that. You know, when you pay for two screens and one of them's black, that's not really good. <laughs> and, and, you know, the,
2: like actually Aperture had a good solution for that initially, right? Which was yeah. that one screen was sort of like a big
0: view of the photo and the other was a lot of the UI stuff, if I remember yeah. correctly. So I just I never I don't use two screens anymore. So that part is kind of I don't see yeah. the problem. And
2: m- and maybe maybe that's what we're moving to. And I can actually appreciate that as well. I mean I think that part of it is also better window management on a single screen. That's improved a lot. And so maybe we don't need it as much.
0: Which um, is I do. Yeah. Which goes back to like Moom and some of these products that we're looking at. Uh, but uh, I'm with you. Like the I think the the technical term is modal and 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 email if I don't have it in full screen mode and I open up a new compose message and I start typing it and then I want to go look at the message I wrote to you eight years ago to reference something in it, I can do that. But as soon as I go full screen, I lose that ability. And there's, there's workarounds, you know, you can kind of trick it into opening a second window and do some things, but you know, it should be better than that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's the big, that's the big one for me, especially. And for like research, I want to have note taking open and full screen on one Computer and then what I'm reading on the other, um, like you know, maybe I'm using the Kindle app or maybe I'm doing research online.
0: But I, uh, but for the, using the laptop, I find that opening apps to full screen a lot of times is really nice, and being able to just do the four finger uh, flick and then select between the multiple apps I have running and just jump to that one is is really. Not, there's some things about it that I really like, but that's and that's
2: actually yeah, that's another thing I really missed was those those multi finger gestures, which I got working on Linux eventually, but. It was a struggle, and it's nice to have them just work.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's always the issue with Linux is that, you know, there's not a, a big group of people getting paid a lot of money to, you know, make it awesome. And it's up to really smart users to figure those things out.
2: Well, there is. I mean, you know, there is a lot of money, and there are real people doing all that work, but a lot of it, and I would say the focus is still, you know, certainly on the server, server side. Yeah, servers. But, you know, like... Mark Shuttleworth is doing a lot of really cool stuff. I really, to be honest, I'm kind of a fan of what Ubuntu has done in terms of UI. They've, you know, not everything works, but I I love that they're experimenting. And, yeah. you know, one of the problems with uh, any sort of big successful system uh, is that, it, you know, in terms of UI is that you, you really kind of end up getting weighed down by what you've done successfully or not because people know it and they use yeah. it. I mean, Adobe got locked into their UI, you know. OS 10, we've been looking at the same UI with minor tweaks for quite a while. So
0: I'm excited to see what happens this year. I think we'll see a lot of cool new stuff. That you know, that's the big, you know, gripe against Microsoft is, you know, Windows has looked the same for so long and this year they tried to make some changes with Windows 8 and everybody's throwing fits. And now Apple's facing the same thing on iOS, where people are saying, well, you can't change it because so many users who don't read Wired Magazine understand it. And if you change it, they're going to go crazy. And that that ties their hands a little bit.
2: Yeah. I, I think you can change it if you change it properly. I mean, if it's properly designed, if it's well designed. I mean, good design, and I think this is part of the problem with Microsoft, is you know, there are times when they mistake decoration for design. And I think this is true for all, for any, you know, mediocre design yeah. and and decoration isn't design design is intentional and it's detail oriented and it's not, it's not just look and feel. And there, certainly, you know, the new windows eight, there's a lot of cool stuff there. And I, I, like some of the thinking, but it wasn't brought to, uh, you know, they didn't fulfill, fulfill that promise. You know, there were too many compromises. So we'll see. I, I'm excited to see, uh, WWDC
0: this year. Yeah, me too. Me too. I think we're gonna get something cool. Yeah. So, what so, are your other little yeah.
1: mis- must-have oh, apps for Mac, iOS, either both?
2: Well, I'll tell you. Um, I mean, I you know I'm still a cross-platform, so I still use mostly Android on the the mobile side. Um, but in terms of OS 10, the things that I really missed a lot, and that I was happy to have when I'm when I'm using OS 10 full time now, is um, Little Snitch. That's a big one for mm-hmm. me. Uh, it seems like, I mean, then, you know, it's not, I guess I I consider that a power tool, kind of a geek tool. Right. But
1: mention um, briefly what it does for people who aren't aware.
2: Right. So little snitch is basically like an, it's a, it's a firewall. It's a personal firewall for your Mac. You can think about it like that. And, uh, in going outgoing connection management for every app on your computer. And the first time that you boot it up, it starts to ask you a lot of questions like, you know, this app is connecting. Do you want to let it? Do you not want to let it? And you know, most of the time it's fine. And I let the apps pass through or I'll make little rules to say like, yeah, it's fine. This app can connect to say Amazon's servers. Go ahead, let that happen indefinitely. But it's just great to know what's going on on your machine. And it has saved me so many times when something crazy was going on or there was some process that was just eating up tons of bandwidth. Like I use backblaze a lot and I like backblaze a lot, but there are times when I'll have it like cranked up to 11 on a one to 10 scale in terms of how much bandwidth it's supposed to use to push out that backup. And uh, you know, little snitch lets me know there's a nice little monitor in the menu bar where you can see like
0: just how much bandwidth is being used per application. The the trick with little snitch is not becoming desensitized to it because when you get it, You see every app, i mean, essentially every app on your Mac is going to phone home just to check for updates. Um, Yeah. So you're going to see these messages and you start approving them. And after you use it for a week or two, you get so tired of that message that you just start clicking yes, no matter what. And And you got to get through that first month. And then after that, you don't get so many.
2: And the, the trick, the secret there, and I think a lot of people don't do this. And I think Little Snitch should be better about Maybe this UI or about providing information to users up front. When those little pop ups come up and they'll say, it says, you know, this application is trying to connect to this particular domain. Do you want to let it? And you can answer yes, or you can answer, you know, yes forever. And you can also, the key trick though is that when it shows you that little domain, you can click that domain as a drop down and you can select not just like this specific server, so not just like xyz. you know, amazon.com, you can just select all of amazon.com and you can say you can connect to any server there and as long as you trust that it's connecting to that that general domain then that's a better way to do it you're creating a general rule instead of a specific rule that you have to then answer every time
0: i always thought of it really as protecting the outgoing traffic i know it, it monitors both sides but i don't know yeah any it other is primarily for track of what your mac is doing to to call out does that make sense
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, I I, I think I, I lost you there for just a second. But, yeah, it is primarily an outgoing uh, firewall.
0: Yeah. yeah. What else do you like to use with the...
2: Oh, well, let's see. I really missed Airfoil. <laughs> like, that's yeah. I live and die by Airfoil. I use it all the time. I mean, it's certainly um, AirPlay support in multiple apps has gotten a lot better. But there's just so many little apps that don't have AirPlay support built in. And Airfoil
0: and Airfoil speakers are definitely uh, one of my go-to apps. Um and so Airfoil is an app that lets you you broadcast to speakers or your stereo basically outside your house, right? Am I getting this right? Let
2: me look at um, yeah. So Airfoil, like I run Airfoil on my Mac and yeah. what it does is it lets me push out any audio stream to any Airplay support, de- any device that supports Airplay. So like right. the little um, yeah.
0: the Airport Expresses or yeah. the Apple TV. So like if you've got it, if you've got it plugged into your stereo, then you can get get any audio source, not just your iTunes.
2: Yeah. So, and you know, like one thing I recommend that few people do is almost every little audio device. I wonder if this is true for all Mac audio devices, but uh, certainly all the ones I'm familiar with the, even the little ancient airport expresses that I still have running in my house, like the first gen airport expresses and the Apple TV, I'm sure is like this. They all have optical cable support in the 3.5 in that little stereo jack right? Most people don't realize that you can stick, you can get one of these like funny hybrid fiber optic cables and stick it in there. And if you've got support, and I I think most, you know, most modern stereo amps, preamps, amps have the support for the fiber optic in like that. And you can plug it. The Toslink, I think they call it. Yeah. Toslink. Yeah, exactly. And it's a pure digital signal. You do that. And then I'm pushing out, you know, streams like from Spotify on the Mac. I can push it out to the, to my stereo, even though Spotify doesn't have AirPlay support. Yeah. So I use Airfoil for that.
0: Yeah, it's nice.
2: So what, what about your
0: menu bar? Anything up there? Oh, that you, uh, Oh my god,
2: it's too much. Um, Bartender, <laughs> man, I'll tell you, Bartender is has been such a lifesaver for me.
0: Oh, I think you know, are, It's yeah. so awesome. Bar, so Bartender allows you to basically make a sub menu in your menu bar. And when I was testing out Omnipresence, um, one of the very early builds of it it didn't work with bartender, right? I had to disable bartender to do some testing on it. And I had no idea how much stuff I have in my menu bar because of bartender. And when I turned it off, it just, it went all the way across the screen, just all the way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's nuts. Um, Every time my Mac boots up, there's this little moment before bartender kicks in (laughs) this hard stopping vision of my, and my menu bar is just, it's just full. It's like black, full of these little icons, these little spidery icons um, that's something I would love to see solved. Come to think of it. I think we all would right? some solution there, but, uh, yeah, the big thing for me, the crazy one that I think, I mean, most people will know the apps that I use in my menu bar. Um, you know, things like caffeine, right? Caffeine's a a great little app, but one of the ones that I really love on the Mac is this funny application called key remap for MacBook. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No,
0: what's it do? So,
2: (laughs) well, it's kind of a geek tool. It's a, like an open source, you know, free application. Um, it's key remap and then the numeral four, because you wouldn't want to make it easy for people to search for it by hearing it on a podcast. Um, key remap for MacBook. Of course, you know, you can use it on a Mac or it doesn't have to be a MacBook, but it, it allows you to use, uh, it allows you to do all sorts of crazy stuff with your keyboard and to do custom stuff and custom key maps for your keyboard. But I, I use it because it allows you to use like the Vim commands everywhere. Okay. Um, so if you're into Vim, you know, it's kind of a religion, I realize, but uh, it's nice to be able to use that in like every Cocoa text
0: field. Well, just there's one I use called Palua, P A L U A. And it's, it's not like it doesn't go as far as key remap does, but it allows me to set preferences for the function keys, whether they show up as function keys or the Apple functions. You know, like do I want it to put the volume down or do I want it to be F7? And it does it on a per app basis. Yeah. Which is so this really great.
2: this has that as well.
0: Yeah. Oh, per app. Oh, that's cool. Like, I because I do some work in Jump Desktop because I have to tunnel into a, a PC at work, and I want when I'm in that app, I want them to be true function keys. But you know, in other apps, I want to be able to turn the volume up and down or do the next track in iTunes.
2: Um, I'm gonna press pause for a second, and I, yeah. I and mean, we can we can wrap up here, but. Yeah. Uh, are you picking up my kids upstairs? They're like right. No, away. not at all. Oh, no, okay. They're fine. Okay. That's fine. It's okay. Um, I never know how sensitive this mic is. Okay. So wait uh we can pick up. I think I only had one other app that I was gonna mention. All right. So give me your last app. Um oh, here it is. Okay. So the um oh the uh besides uh key remap for MacBook, the other one that I use a lot is Better Touch Tool. Yeah. And it's a little bit there's another one that's very similar to it. I want to say it's called like Magic Prefs is that right? Um, which is probably a little easier, a little more user-friendly, but better touch tool is like crazy in terms of the number of features it has. And it lets you do all sorts of stuff in terms of the, the trackpad and all the different gestures that you can use. And it even has like basic kind of weird window management support. Like you can snap windows to the ref, left and right and have them, you know, resize to like 50%. And I, I just
0: use, I, I, it's like the first thing I install on a MacBook. OK, so we have, you know, these workflow shows and so often, you know, super nerdy guests come on and they all end up talking about better touch tool. <laughs> I, I, but I'm one of them. I got to say I love it. And the recent update now, they have an iOS app where you can do touches on an iOS device that will talk through Bluetooth to better touch tool on your Mac and you can control your Mac through it.
2: Oh, I haven't seen it. That's nuts. i have, just I'll gets, have to look at that feature.
0: You know, and I don't think he charges for it. I don't think I've ever paid for it. What's the name of the developer for Better BetterTouchSol? He's a nice guy. I've I've emailed him a couple of times, and he's got a couple apps for sale in the Mac App Store. But this app is so awesome. I, I wonder if he can't sell it. Maybe it, it violates the sandboxing rules. Probably does.
1: I'm sure. Oh, you does. could still
0: sell it. You could still yeah. sell licenses, but uh, yeah,
2: you know the other one of the neat things it does is it. I don't know if he still has it. It was kind of touch and go for a while whether or not he was going to keep it in. I think it might still be there. Was support for the Intuos Five, the Wacom. So we're right back to the beginning, the top of the podcast now. But yeah. the uh, the Intuos Five series has capacitive touch support, so you can do multi-touch gestures. Not quite as nice as the actual trackpad on a MacBook, but not bad. And with Better Touch Tool, it really was great because I could just like map anything I wanted. I got a full tablet and I got my hand all over it and I can do like cool five-finger gestures. Definitely yeah. felt like the
0: future. Andreas Hagenberg. Andreas, thank you. Yes, thank you so much. And he does have a link on his website for the iOS app you can download to, to drive it with your iOS device. Yeah, that is a lot of fun. It, but don't, if you're listening to this, don't try this unless you've got like an hour to burn because you're going to have. <laughs> There's no way you could just, like, play for that for five minutes and move on. Totally. Do it
2: Do it after you do the cool infrared blaster audio, you know, audio setup. You can do it while you're sharpening your Klingon on pointy sword. Right. Just make sure it's one with the curved handle, because those yeah. others are totally... They're fake.
1: The Completely yeah. fake.
0: Yeah, it's Not Klingonia. like Grandpa had. <laughs> I think this is going to be a running thing, because Katie does get kind of angry and... Now she's made a a routine thing of threatening my life with Klingon pointy swords.
2: Yep. You look very calm in your photo, though, Katie, on Skype.
0: So it's
1: it's it's a it's a you don't have
2: any. There's no prominent brow ridge or. Yeah,
0: it's a farce. That's because she's holding that sword. I mean, she knows that if anything goes wrong, the swords
1: behind my back, you can't see in the photo. It's very tightly cropped and, you know, (laughs) out it comes
0: just to the right of the frame.
1: Yeah, it's the bad left out. It comes.
0: All, all right. right. Ethan, so- I'm so glad we finally got you on the show. Oh, yeah. This was a blast. I love talking to you guys. Yeah. And um, so, so where can people find you?
2: Uh, well, they can find me on, you know, probably Twitter is a, a good channel to get in touch with me if for uh, you need to for any reason. That's Ethan Schoonover. Uh, you can search for Solarized and you'll find my website right away as well. And I've got all my contact details up there. Um, other than that, I'm hiding in my basement somewhere in a secret location in Seattle. (laughs) All right. And if you knock on the door, he will have video of you. Yes. Blood 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 curdling screams. Mm -hmm, Yes. Mm
1: -hmm. And you can find links to everything that we talked about in this episode at our website. Uh, It's at the newly redesigned MacPowerusers.com or on five by five at five by five dot tv slash MPU slash one three nine and uh david and i are on twitter uh he's at max sparky i'm at katie floyd the show is at mac power users and ethan what was yours one more time
0: uh ethan Schoonover. there we go uh, one word yeah all one word
1: and you um, can also
0: send us feedback to feedback at macpowerusers.com that's an email that comes to the both of us
1: that's right and um i think that will wrap us up for today so thank you so much for joining us ethan and
2: uh
0: thank you both
1: we'll see y'all next time